today on CityCast Salt Lake. About five hours south of Salt Lake City near Monticello is the Home of Truth, a commune founded in the 1930s by the spiritual medium Marie Ogden, who used to transcribe messages from spirits on her typewriter. The story of Marie and Home of Truth is fascinating Utah history, and very few people know it as well as writer and professor Emma Kemp. Because Emma has been investigating Marie Ogden's story for almost a decade and is currently living at Home of Truth. She's working on a book that we'll publish later this year, and we're so lucky to have her here today to share this intriguing story and what we can all learn from it. It's Thursday, April 14th, 2022. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Emma, welcome to CityCast Salt Lake. Thanks for being here. Hi, Ali. Thank you. Excited to be here. I want to talk about your investigation of Home of Truth and the story of Marie Ogden. But first, I think we have to just lay out a little bit of the landscape of this story. So can you tell me, like, what is the Home of Truth? What is this place? What are sort of the facts? So the Home of Truth is it's an idea. I think it's a dream. Uh, and it's also a physical location. But to summarize, uh, the Home of Truth is a religious settlement that was founded by a woman named Marie Ogden in 1934. She was a woman who grew up on the East Coast, was very well connected. Her husband passed away. She inherited a large sum of money and she turned to spiritual affairs and became very interested in communicating with spirits in the afterlife, with where we go uh, after death. Uh, and she founded a school, which was called the School of Truth in Newark, New Jersey, where she lived. She moved west alone in her car and homestead land out in San Juan County, Utah. What was the story after her arrival in Utah? So Marie arrived in Utah in 1933. Um, okay. So, and I guess I should back up and say that in the mid to late 1920s, so let's say 1927, 1928, Marie was living in Newark with, with her husband and she had a, a, a kind of grown-up daughter, Roberta. Um, and she had a very stable kind of conventional urban lifestyle. She was a prominent member of an urban upper middle class community in Newark. And there were no indications that she would, <laughs> at that point in her life, that she would give it all up, you know, sell her home and move out to the desert, which she had no familiarity with. That wasn't part of her thinking or her plan or her vision for her life at that point. She was very much actually preoccupied with like uh, choosing fabric for the curtains in the new house in Newark that she was decorating and making sure that all of her cutlery matched, you know, and her chinaware was, um, was in good condition. Right. Because this is like the Gilded Age, right? We've seen a lot of this televised, certainly, the high society. And that was her. That was her. She embodied all of that. All of a sudden, her husband became sick and he passed away very quickly. And it's at that moment that her understanding of her reality and her place in the world suddenly shifted. She sort of has this moment of recognition where she's looking around and she's, what does she do now? So just to say also that there was a kind of 
uh, there was a spiritualist movement sort of sweeping the East Coast at that time hmm. in the 19, in 1920s. So it was, you know, it wasn't uncommon for people to be attending lectures um, on these matters, on like mysticism and spiritualism at that point. What is uncommon and what I find most fascinating about, about the home of truth is that in the 1920s and 1930s, it was still relatively rare for a woman to carve out the space of, of independent homesteading, like, you know, by themselves to kind of go west homestead land and build a community. I'm curious too, because it sounds like the passing of her husband was a really definitive life moment and she was seeking some spiritual guidance. When did the switch sort of flip from Marie Ogden seeking out this spiritual movement to becoming a leader of her own spiritual movement? I don't think there's a clear moment when she's, she sort of says, okay, today's the day I'm going to do this. She was a participant in the spiritualist community. So she was attending talks and lectures and she has in her journals, you can see where she's going to attend a lecture at so-and-so place on a, you know, a particular theosophical topic and she's learning. And then she starts to actively kind of, she starts to attempt to engage with the, the spirits of the afterlife through these channelings. So she starts making time in her day to, to kind of channel. She starts getting interested in like palmistry and so like palm reading and vibrational therapy. Hmm. She starts to look into diet and nutrition. You can sort of see her amassing sort of resources from these, from different spaces. There was also at that moment in time, there was an interesting kind of messaging happened in like popular magazines about like land in the West and homesteading the West. There was, mm -hmm. that was being sort of marketed to people on the East Coast. And so I think there was maybe like a perfect kind of meeting point of she inherited money, like she was financially capable of doing something like this. She had been attending all these lectures and, and kind of meeting people and amassing a community around her. And she was, she was seeing in, in popular magazines and just in culture at that time, the possibility of, uh, of going out and homestead in this land in the West. And, and obviously there's a whole history and mythology of, of sort of reinventing oneself in the Western yeah. landscape. Manifest destiny. E exactly. And, yeah. Lots of like very dangerous ideas. I'm curious. So Marie arrives in Utah, in San Juan County, Utah sets up this parcel of land, has this sort of band of followers. What is the reception to, names it the home of truth, correct? Like it, it has this name. What is the perception and the reception of her in Utah at that time? She hopes that quite a large parcel of land um, in Dry Valley, uh, which is about 14 miles outside of the town of Monticello. And she set up Structurally, she set up the community where there was an inner portal, a middle portal, and an outer portal. And so the inner portal was where she lived and it held the majority of the single residence cabins uh, that the commune members constructed. And then the middle portal was more communal space. So they had a church in construction. They had a kind of communal cookhouse. It's where they housed the press. She very quickly after homesteading this land, she took over the San Juan record, the local newspaper. She became the editor in chief, which I think is another 
beautiful detail of her story is that she be- she became the narrator of the news in the town, essentially. Like that was a very smart move on her, a very enterprising kind of move on her part in terms of being able to control the messaging and reception of the Home of Truth to the local, to the broader community, broader local community. Yeah. And the San Juan record is still in publication. It's still in publication today, yeah. which is incredible. Uh, and they have, actually, you can, you know, they have all the uh, early copies, which is, as a researcher, it's fantastic to get to touch the paper copies. Yeah, that's cool. From Marie's time. She wasn't seen as, you know, kind of as a strange or, or like weird person to begin with. There was a, there was a moment of slight controversy after she and her followers had been there for a couple of years, which is when a commune member named Edith Payshak was ill with, with cancer and passed away. One of the reasons that Edith and her husband had joined the Home of Truth was because Marie, part of Marie's theosophy was that she could, she could heal people and prevent death. And that was one of the reasons that Edith and her husband joined. Unfortunately, didn't quite work out that way. And Edith did pass away. And Marie was employing lots of kind of interesting new age, new agey kind of techniques uh, in her healing practices towards Edith. So it's a lot of like laying of the hands and vibrational therapy happening. But Edith had, she had cancer and she passed away. And after, when she passed away, Marie didn't believe that Edith was in fact deceased. And so in as part of Marie's thinking, she believed that she could reunite the soul with the body. And so began this kind of epic journey with Edith's physical body uh, laid up in bed in one of the cabins and Marie and other commune members were tending to the body on a daily basis. They were continuing to feed the body, quote unquote, and uh, do healing practices and prayer. And, you know, that was interesting. And, you know, strangely enough, Marie kind of wrote about that in a, in a serialized column in the San Juan record. Hmm. And so, so she wasn't trying to keep this a secret. No, she did not that. And she did not think it was, you know, strange or weird and she was very much I think she very much believed that that this would be a success that she would kind of bring Edith back to life she was publicizing it as in serialized story form essentially every in 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 the San Juan record and so um, it was a column called rebirth of a soul and unfortunately what happened was it it didn't quite go to plan as Marie had hoped and she did not anticipate that this, the column would get negative feedback, negative attention. And then and it, it, it essentially national newspapers picked up on it um, through her column and Chicago were covering it, you know, and they, people at the, na- the larger national newspapers, they did think it was weird. Um, and this is when it turned into a sort of media spectacle and a kind of controversy. And that it was only at that point when other national newspapers were covering the story as a kind of oh cult sensational story, cult leader has body in cabin. Those kinds of headlines was when the town members of Monticello started to get a little antsy. Yeah, and as one word. <laughs> yes, because you know the then it was the perception that there are these 
you know, these people out in San Juan County with dead bodies, you know, with dead bodies. And no one wanted that kind of attention. And so that was when they sent the, they sent the DA out to get a death certificate. And, and also Edith's children had learned about it at that point. And they weren't, yeah, they were not happy either. And so that was the moment when I think like public <laughs> sentiment in Monticello started to shift. And Marie lost, unfortunately, you know, she lost a lot of her followers during, during that period. People started to leave. People felt that they had been maybe, maybe misled. Um, and that, you know, Marie couldn't bring Edith back to life. And the promises that had been made, you know, were not going to come to fruition in the end. Um, and so that was a very difficult kind of trial for the home of truth, but it didn't, it wasn't, you know, Marie kept on going and, and that was, that happened in sort of 1934, 1935. And so she'd only been there sort of like a year in when, uh, when the Edith Paycheck saga occurred and, uh, the commune, you know, survived and the home of truth, uh, continued on for, for many decades after that. It was just a smaller group. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about your experience living at Home of Truth, which has been characterized as a ghost town. And I wonder how you feel about that characterization. But so the last person who was living there passed away in the 80s. When you arrived, how do you how did you get in? Who gave you the keys? Like I have some logistical questions. <laughs> so I don't think it's a ghost town. I also I don't think the home of truth is like large enough to even be considered a town. Um, to be honest, I think ghost town is a mischaracterization. Um, the home of truth, as it stands, is a is a property. You know, at this point, um, there are, as I said, there are sort of three distinct parcels: the inner portal, the middle portal, and the outer portal. And the inner portal is where I am staying, and it's where Marie lived. It has Marie's primary residence cabin which is an astounding cabin um it's beautiful and i through my research came into contact with the owner um who was the first owner to 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 kind of steward the property after marie's passing um and the new owner had let the last commune member live out their days there on the cabin that was part part of the kind of the deal the current property owner has, I think, really been so amazing and gracious in this, in the sense of just wanting to, wanting to just preserve the kind of sanctity of the property, you know. Um, and so, one of the cabins has been sort of remodeled or, or renovated so that it's habitable. That's the one I live in. Um, so that I do have a toilet. Thankfully. Yes. And, um, and, you know, it's, yeah, there's a well and there's water. You know, if there are interesting quirks, like there's no power out in Dry Valley. And so, the, the, you know, there's the generator for power and you can, you run it intermittently. And so it's mostly candlelight in the evenings, you know. Um, in a way, I'm, I feel, I feel really honored to get to experience um, the environment in as close a way as I can to how Marie would have experienced it. You know, it hasn't really been modernized out there, um, out there in that valley. There's no cell service, there's no Wi-Fi, um, and the, the landscape is pretty much unchanged at, as of now. Yeah, as of now, but I mean, the amount of development 
and growth that's happening in that region of the state, right? Which is sort of like Moab adjacent, Bluff adjacent, like this part of the state is undergoing tremendous growth and tremendous change. And I have to wonder if you'll be maybe the last person to witness this place in this way. Are you already starting to experience the changes of just this sort of time in that space? Like, what do you think the future looks like for this property? I've been coming out to the home of truth, to the, to the inner portal since 2014. And the, a lot of the private land tracks around the home of truth have been up for sale for years, for years and years and years, the whole time I've been coming and no one has ever made any moves on them. And then in the last six months, um, there's been huge movement and proposals, planning and zoning committee proposals to develop all around Marie's, uh, the home of truth. I think it is going to change. I think we're really on the cusp of a huge um, and drastic uh, shift in how that valley feels and operates. And I do feel that, um, you know, I feel really honored to have been able to experience the home of truth in as close of a way as possible to its kind of original formation, you know, um, as much as that is possible. Do you think the home of truth property itself is going to one day become a tourist destination? That's a good question. I will say that one of the funny things about living there is that the cabin I live in looks the same as all of the derelict, you know, from the outside. You can't, yeah. you can't tell that the inside has actual walls, right? Um, and so uh, sometimes I'll be like doing the dishes and I look out the window and there's just people, you know, like kind of walking around, uh, you know, <laughs> and, and, um, and I'll be like, oh, yeah, I think people, even though there are kind of private property signs on the outside, people are starting to become aware of the home of truth as a kind of curiosity and as a destination. When I first began my research, as I said, 2014, 2015, there was no Wikipedia page, or maybe it was like very minimal. You know, there was hardly any kind of information. There wasn't like a Google pin and things like that. And so I, and there definitely wasn't like an Atlas Obscura um, uh, article. And so I think that over, yeah, the last few years, it started to gain more visibility and recognition as a as a cultural site. And, you know, part of that is really fantastic because I do think that we should be honoring the stories of women and, um, you know, overlooked narratives that we should be thinking about um, the history of, of women homesteaders, single women homesteaders, um, and, and kind of factoring that into the history of, of Western homesteading and of religious communities you know I think there's a whole really vibrant and amazing and powerful history of like 1960s 1970s lesbian utopian settlements and things like that like after the women's movement and and it's such a rich and amazing history and I I love like thinking thinking about Marie's history like as a really early kind of example of a, of an independent woman kind of going out and staking um, staking a claim in a in a in a community settlement and kind of running that and leading that in the 1930s. But yeah, I think people are coming to to see Marie's as a tourist site, and I think there will be more foot traffic uh, as people 
head down towards the national parks and kind of see the sign for Marie's place and, and want to look around. I guess my last question for you is just what do you think we can learn from this story? Because I think it's it's pretty sensational. It's easy to get, I think, excited about a strange story. I think to a lot of people, it's a little frightening. And I'm curious if you think there, how do you think we should be thinking about Marie Ogden and the Home of Truth? Thank you for that question, Ali, because um, it's something I, I ponder a lot. I think there's, there's a tendency to, you know, to to sensationalize Marie's character um, or this presumption, you know, that she was some kind of kooky cult leader or she was, a, was some kind of charlatan uh, or worse. Um, and there's an attraction to strange, you know, strange phenomena, strange stories. Uh, true crime is, is huge right now also, you know, in our culture. Um, we consume a lot of true crime and there's almost an element of, uh, you know, of this, uh, not of criminality, but of a, of a strange event, um, you know, with a body out in the desert. Um, and I think all of those, you know, factors are important to consider, but I think it's actually far more interesting to unpack Marie Ogden's story within the context of, you know, early 20th century like Dust Bowl era homesteading and and religious expansion, it, you know, thinking of Marie as a woman who who really intervened in a in a male dominated space at that time. She's a really good model of and sort of example of the changing role of women in the early twentieth century. And I think that she is, for me, I look at Marie and I see a woman uh, with a lot of ambition and desire um, and courage. And I see a woman trying to figure out how to deal with grief and loss and how to make a life for herself. And a life for herself that wasn't necessarily sanctioned by society at that time. Thank you so much, Emma, for your time. I really appreciate it. And for your research and your thoughtfulness, I absolutely cannot wait to read your book. Thank you so much. I'm very happy to talk with you today and look forward to seeing you soon. One more thing before we go. If you are intrigued by the story of Marie Ogden and the Home of Truth, you are not alone. Local poet, playwright, and friend of the show, R.J. Walker, has written an immersive one-hour play based on the story of Marie Ogden and the events at Home of Truth. It's called Home of Truth, A Ghost Town Play, and it's taking place in the Allen Park ghost town right in Sugar House. The performances will be immersive, which means you're on your feet the whole time walking through different scenes, and the scenes in each act are all taking place at the same time, so the story will unravel differently depending on which characters you choose to follow. There will be three showings between April 29th and May 1st. They all start at 4 p.m. and tickets are $30 a person. You can get tickets by searching Home of Truth on Eventbrite or at the link in our show notes. Mm-hmm. 
that's all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. We've got some photos of Home of Truth on our Instagram at CityCast Salt Lake and an excerpt from Emma's forthcoming book in our newsletter. You can subscribe to that at saltlake.citycast.fm. If you've been enjoying this show, it would mean a great deal if you left us a nice review on Apple Podcasts or five stars on Spotify. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye. Bye.